God, help us to look to you. Help us to look to you. To love more deeply. To love more deeply. And love the world. And love the world. And all who dwell in it. And all who dwell in it. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you could tell from knowing every one of the answers that Andy asked about Michael Jordan, but I did have a dream that he was me and he was all I ever wanted to be. Our, as Andy just shared, our second scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Jonah, starting with chapter three, verse one. Let us listen for and hear God's holy word. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk, and he cried out, Forty days more. And Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed God's mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. But this was very displeasing to Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said while I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and ready to relent from punishing. And now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May your good news come, O Lord, not only in the word spoken, but in and through the power of your Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Amen. Do not think for one minute that the story of Jonah is a fish story. We all know the basic plot, I expect. God calls Jonah to go to the city of Nineveh and tell the people that they will be destroyed if they do not change their ways. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire just across the Tigris River in modern-day Iraq. In Jonah's day, the Assyrians more or less ruled that entire region. They were powerful and they were hated. Everyone despised the Assyrians. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah and said, go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah doesn't want to go. The Ninevites are known to be cruel and heartless. The prophet Nahum describes it as a city of blood, bodies without number, with people stumbling over piles of corpses. 
harlots, sorceries, prostitution, plundering. Nineveh was the last place any self-respecting Jew would want to go. And Jonah is no different. So when God says, go, Jonah leaves his home near the Sea of Galilee, but instead of heading inland towards Nineveh, he goes 60 miles south to the seaport of Joppa and gets on a boat headed across the Mediterranean to Tarshish. Nineveh was 700 miles to the northeast. Tarshish was 2,200 miles straight west on what's now the southwest coast of Spain. To give you an idea of scale, that would be like starting here in Knoxville, but instead of going to New York City, you headed for Los Angeles. If you know the story, you remember what happens. A storm arises on the sea. Jonah is thrown overboard to appease the storm. God sends a great big fish to grab Jonah and bring him back east, back to the shore where he started from. During the return trip, Jonah composes a flawless prayer full of so many pious platitudes that it makes the poor fish spew Jonah up onto dry land. And that brings us to our starting point this morning. When God says for a second time, now Jonah, go to Nineveh, to the great city and preach the message that I will give you. That's what I mean when I say the story of Jonah is not a fish story. It's the story of a person who's called upon to do something for God who doesn't want to do it. So when our reading begins this morning, Jonah is walking across the city of Nineveh preaching his sermon. Forty days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. In Hebrew, the sermon is exactly five words long, which we preachers might do well to pay attention to. Because even though Jonah is preaching in Hebrew and the Assyrians don't speak Hebrew, they start to take notice. They start to change. The people believe God. They cry out to God and turn from their evil ways. The king of Nineveh hears the sermon and he repents. And according to the story, even the cattle hear the sermon and they repent. Not only that, God is so impressed with Jonah's sermon that even God repents. That's what it says. God changed God's mind. Thanks to Jonah, everyone has turned toward the face of God, which, if you ask me, was exactly the point in the first place. That's the good news. The bad news is that when Jonah sees all of this, he pouts. He sulks. Because he never wanted the Ninevites to be saved. The only reason he was there at all was because God made him go. That's why he ran the other direction in the first place. Darn it, God. When I preach doom and destruction, I want to see doom and destruction. But here you are, so merciful and kind and forgiving, it just makes me sick. Jonah is angry because God loves too many people. Diana often reminds me of one of Anne Lamott's best quotes, and she has several. Anne Lamott says, you can safely assume you've created God in your own image when it turns out God hates all the same people you do. 
A few years ago, I read an article by Richard Lawrence, who's a Jesuit priest. He was recalling a story his mother told him about her upbringing in the Catholic Church. She was going through the Catholic equivalent of our confirmation process, and they were memorizing the catechism. They came to the part about limbo, which according to traditional Roman Catholic doctrine is a kind of special purgatory for unbaptized babies where they remain, not suffering, but not in heaven either, because they died without being baptized, which in the Catholic Church is a theological problem. When Lawrence's mother was in sixth grade in her Baltimore parish, she was called on to recite the catechism question and answer about limbo, but she refused. No, ma'am, I won't, she said. I don't believe it. The teacher asked, what gives you the right not to believe what's in the catechism? And his mother replied, well, I wouldn't keep a little baby out of heaven over something it had no control over. And I can't believe that God is any dumber or any meaner than me. God is not any meaner than me. Gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. We often draw a contrast between what we like to call the angry God of the Old Testament and the loving God of the New Testament, but it's just not true. Gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Do you know that those are the words most often used to describe God in the Hebrew scriptures? Gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The psalmist understands that. Where can I flee from your presence? If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. How far can God reach? How many people can God love? If we're honest with ourselves, we'll admit it makes us crazy because we really would like for God to hate all the same people we hate. We see it every day in our electoral politics. Surely you can't be stupid enough to be a Democrat or self-righteous enough to be a Republican. We demonize all those who are not like us in the interest of showing support for our candidate and go to great pains to prove how God is on our side. We see it painfully playing out with our Methodist sisters and brothers. And we've seen the same thing play out in the Presbyterian church time and time again. Groups fighting and leaving to form a new denomination to get away from those they disagree with. They apparently don't think the rest of us are Christian enough or read our Bible enough or love Jesus enough. And it would be so satisfying to hate them, to hate them the way Jonah hated Nineveh. But God says, no. No, go to Nineveh, go to Russia, go to Ukraine, go to North Korea, go to Israel, go to Gaza, go to your enemies, go to the conservatives, go to the liberals, go to the forest ends of the sea. When are we going to get it straight that the love of God is for all people? 
that the judgment of God is laid upon every human heart, that the mercy of God can forgive every sin and give second chances to every person? When are we gonna get it into our heads and our hearts that God wants nothing more than to see this table crowded, crowded with every face from every nation and every political and social and intellectual orientation? When are we going to get into our heads and our hearts the fact that God loves us, but God's love doesn't stop with us? In his book, The Dangerous Act of Worship, Mark Laberton says, God's love is like an equation that only works in one direction. God loves the whole world, and that encompasses loving us individually. But we can't fully understand God's love for us individually until we fully grasp God's love for everyone. I recently heard a story about a flight from Johannesburg to London back in the days just after the fall of apartheid in South Africa. Racial tensions were still running strong. As the plane was boarding, a fair-skinned woman with a thick European accent came down the aisle and discovered her assigned seat was right next to a dark-skinned African man. She checked her boarding pass and saw that it was correct, and she asked her seatmate, I'm sorry, are you sure you're in the right seat? He smiled and nodded. She turned around to see if there were any other empty seats in the section but she didn't see any, so she tugged on the sleeve of the passing flight attendant. Excuse me, she said. As you can see, I'm sitting next to a person whose skin color is different from mine. Yes, ma'am, the flight attendant said. I can see that. Well, she said, this is simply unacceptable. Is there another seat available? The flight attendant looked at her and said, I'm sorry, ma'am. It's against our policy to move people unnecessarily. You don't understand, the woman said. This arrangement will not do. I have funds in my purse to arrange an alternative. Would you please go to first class and see if there's an available seat? I simply cannot sit next to this person. The flight attendant shrugged her shoulders and walked up the aisle. A few minutes later, she returned. She leaned over the European woman, tapped the African man on the shoulder and said, I'm sorry, sir, I hate to do this. I must make a seating change. If you'll follow me, I have a place for you in first class. The love of God offers everyone first class treatment. Not just for us, but for all people, all nations, all races, all God's children, all the way to the ends of the earth. Because God is not meaner than me. Amen.
be seated. Let us turn our hearts, let us gather in prayer before our God. All-knowing God, we gather together with praise and thanksgiving for who you are, for all that you have done for us. You know us better than we know ourselves, for you knit us in our mother's wombs. You know all our thoughts and actions, even our sin and brokenness, and yet you still love us. No matter where we go or what we do, your love encircles us, ahead and behind, gently leading and guiding and blessing. We praise you for your love and your faithful presence in our lives. May your spirit move in our hearts and minds as we worship together. O God, examine our attitudes and actions, lay bare the things we need to confess, challenge us with your word, and guide us to paths that lead to new life. O God, we give you thanks for your creation, for the beauty of the snow, the days of play or rest and no school. But we also recognize the danger of these days, those that suffer without heat or electricity, those who live on streets, those who lose work and wages, and those for whom these days have been difficult and isolating. We pray for our city and community as we face the consequences of these days, asking that you would help those who are suffering and in need. We give thanks, O oh God, for those who have worked hard to ensure that we have electricity, heat, groceries, cleared roads, and all the many things that take place to keep us safe. Bless them and allow them rest. Oh God, too many of us feel like Jonah, trapped in the darkness, unable to escape, praying for a way out of the suffering and blackness. We pray for those who do not know your light, those that feel trapped in the belly of the beast, asking that you would hear our cries of desperation and lament. Hear our voices, O oh God, and heal us as only you can. Oh God, we pray for those that feel like they are unloved, that feel abandoned and forgotten. And we ask that you would embolden us to step forward, to welcome them as your children, regardless of who they are, regardless of their skin color, of their background, whatever it is, O oh God, remind us that we are your children, that we are made in your image, and therefore we are called to care for one another. We lift up those who are ill, sick, or dying, and we pray for those known to us, for Ann Payne, Phyllis Driver, Vanessa Smith, Libba Wall, Linda Smith, and for Gavin Velu. We pray for those who have broken hearts and spirits, for those who long for wholeness. Knit our bodies and hearts back together. Heal those deep wounds that are painful. Comfort us and heal us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As God has given us many blessings in our lives, let us now worship God by returning a portion of those blessings. Let us worship God through our tithes and offerings.